and welcome to The Buzz, the podcast of the Jazz Journalists Association. I'm Howard Mandel, president of the JJA, and I have the pleasure today of introducing the expert panel to discuss free jazz films, which was inspired by a collection of 12 films called Free Jazz on the Criterion Channel. So um, let me introduce our panelists here. We have Kevin Whitehead of Jazz Critic of Fresh Air with Terry Gross and author of Play the Way You Feel, The Essential Guide to Jazz Stories on Film. He's also the author of Why Jazz, New Dutch, New Dutch Swing, and a uh, regular contributor to several publications. Uh, we have Gretchen Carlson, whose book is called Improvising the Score. She's a musicologist and professor of music history and culture at Townsend University, and she's published articles on jazz and film, uh, her recent book is an investigation of collaborations between renowned contemporary jazz artists and prominent independent filmmakers. And then we have uh, Don Palmer, who is a JJA board member, an arts and culture writer, former uh, New York State Arts Council grant maker for performing arts presenters, museums, media and multimedia projects, and music and theater commissions. He's also a panelist currently for the Maryland State Arts Council. So welcome all uh, to this discussion. And uh, to start, I, I really want Kevin and Gretchen both to give their elevator pitches about their books, just so we know where we're coming from. Gretchen, will you start? Absolutely. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you, Howard, and thank you all. It's an honor to be part of this exciting panel. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so with my book, Improvising the Score, it was published this past year by the University Press of Mississippi, and it's an in-depth behind-the-scenes look at collaborations between contemporary jazz artists and filmmakers, including Terrence Blanchard and Spike Lee, um, Dick Hyman and Woody Allen, Antonio Sanchez and Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu, and Mark Isham and Alan Rudolph. And specifically, I'm looking at how these musicians navigate being improvising artists within these unique structures and expectations of film production. So looking at how these integrative jazz film productions challenge us to rethink the possibilities of film music and cinema production as a whole. Very cool. And Kevin? Uh, play the way you feel. It's uh, basically a, a history and directory of movies that tell jazz stories in in some form from 1927 when the jazz singer you know comes out uh, to 2018 and Bolden, the Buddy Bolden biopic. And it look at um, recurring trends, of which there are a lot, like uh, musicians who would rather fight than go commercial or play a request. <laughs> Uh, musicians playing in basement venues, black musicians tutoring white musicians, and then some later trends that you see, uh, like scrambled chronology and biopics starting in Bird and moving on to, let's say, uh, the 2016 trio of biopics, Nina, Miles Ahead, and Born to be Blue, Chet Baker biopic. And also uh, unreliable narrators as a kind of a way to, in uh, a biopics or biopic-like films, to just kind of invent ridiculous stuff the way people do in Westerns, let's say. Hmm. Interesting. So some of these uh, elements that you uh, point to in these tropes uh, occur in some of these free jazz films. And just to, again, set up our podcast, let me uh, tell you what these films are. Uh, featured on the Criterion channel 
Um, they were brought together as a collection. There are 12 of them. Mm-hmm. And they include a fiction film, French fiction film, with stances of Sophie, which has a score and a brief episode with the Art Ensemble Chicago. Uh, their presentations of musicians and their scenes, including two films on Sun Ra, uh, Sun Ra, A Joyful Noise by Robert Muggy, and Space is the Place. Uh, also, Imagine the Sound with Cecil Taylor, Bill Dixon, Archie Shep, and Paul Play. Fire Music, which is a 2021 film, which includes um, some of those musicians, Dixon, Shep, Play, Cecil Taylor, and many more. Ornette, Made in America, the Shirley um, Clark. Uh, thank you. A uh, film on Ornette Coleman. Uh, Milford Graves, Full Mantis. Uh, Black Journal, Alice Coltrane. And Rising Tones Cross, which is a film about the East Village free jazz scene um, with Charles Gale and Peter Cobalt, among others. And then there are two kind of music art evocations. One is called Promises Through Congress, and the other is a short called Dream City. So I don't know if you've all watched all of those. It doesn't really matter. We're going to talk about the idea in general, in with, of free jazz films. Is this... Is this a genre, and is it one we need? <laughs> uh, you, well, first of all, you forgot one, uh, The Cry of Jazz, uh, oh, Edward Blanc's film from 58. Yes, thank you. Which I mentioned because two of these uh, films are actually in my book, that, that um, the Cry of Jazz, which also involves Sun Ra, and uh, Space is the Place, in which Sun Ra basically plays the first jazz screen superhero. <laughs> so talk about those two. Uh, are those films related? Kevin, in your mind? Uh, they're both made on a shoestring, but that's uh, that's about it. Edward O'Bland's film, The Cry of Jazz, is sort of a a documentary with a, a, a fictional frame story. They say the, a meeting of the Parkwood Jazz Club has just broken up, and a Black member has scandalized a couple of white newcomers with the radical idea that jazz is Black music, which is just more than they can handle. So in hopes of educating them, you go into this documentary footage about uh, in, in which uh, Sunrise Band, often playing in shadows or in silhouette, acts out the parts of lots of different um, styles of music uh, throughout jazz history. I mean, in Space is the Place, Sun Ra comes from outer space. He duels with the devil for the fate of the world. And spoiler alert, at the end, he disappears on the planet Earth as it blows up and is seen the shards are seen floating off into space. It's kind of like a jazz version of Forbidden Planet as far as that goes, as far as the ending goes. Or a seven seal. Yes, yeah, so it's 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 rich, elusive texture. Space <laughs> is the place. He should, he, they should actually be the band on Deep Space Nine, I think, but anyway. And and Sonny, I have to say, he's, he's, he's great. He's, uh, you know, he's this paunchy, tired-looking guy in his late 50s who has, like, this great screen presence. And there's a one fantastic sequence in the film where Sun Ra goes to a community center in uh, Oakland, I guess it is, and in full Sun Ra regalia and preaching the full Sun Ra text and get to see how local people react to Sun Ra's rhetoric and appearance. It's quite nice. Also, it was part of what would would have been whether you like pink black exploitation is a good or bad term, but it was part of that movement of the seventies filmmaking. De- definitely, it's like a black exploitation film, a sci fi film, uh, an underground Western. film, an indie. 
Yeah. It's got a lot, a lot going for it. It's, yeah. it's, it's quite entertaining, you know, and it's, and it's sort of short. You want to compare it to a joyful noise? Gretchen, I think you watched the joyful noise, didn't you? I looked at space and is the place as well as some portions of a joyful noise. Yeah. And I think, you know, comparing those two, as well as this broader question of, is there a free jazz film genre? I think it's interesting because there's so many different types that are related to free jazz in some way. So some of them are straight or more or less straight documentaries, whereas others are more of these imaginative documentaries that are multimedia in some ways. Um, and then also these film adaptations of musical performances. So I think Space, in the Pla Space is the Place is getting to that where it's a visual representation of some of the things that are happening musically and telling a story in that way that's really fascinating. But then also with uh, Lestance's Sophie, um, it's more of a non-diegetic role where it doesn't have anything to do with the story per se, but it's a way of connecting to the music that perhaps brings in another audience that might not necessarily be free jazz followers that are like, oh, this is interesting and it's helping me understand this character in a different way. Um, so I think almost thinking of free jazz films as a genre might be too limiting other than thinking about their relationship to free jazz in some way, whether it's connected to a particular artist or more of this concept of experimental music being utilized to connect emotionally with the audiences. Good point. And that's, that's really the basis of Wisconsin Sophie, because there's really not very much art ensemble music in it, just a little wisps of it here and there. And the story doesn't allude to the art ensemble or to jazz at all. But then the climax of the film, to my mind, was the art ensemble performance at the end, which is a stunning music video bit. And then Joseph Jarman comes out and says hello to the main character. But that's the only relationship that, that exists. And in your book, you make a lot of, um, Gretchen, you make a lot of the notion that um, uh, jazz offers authenticity and other kinds of um, extra musical, uh, sociological uh, support to mm -hmm. stories. And that seems to be what uh, the Art Ensemble is doing in this movie. Um, they had just arrived pretty much in Paris at the time it was made, I gather. They were all the rage. And uh, why not have them in this film, which is about the uh, independent thinking of the... Uh, uh, particular character. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't see the very, very end, but I, but I, I watched, I watched, I skimmed through it and it reminded me, and you think about the free jazz genre or how jazz is used is that I think about murmur of the heart with all the bebop and the Algerian revolution and their sexual uh, exploration which has teenage boys. And I feel like this is also how jazz will be is used as kind of a flavor for, to represent liberation from middle-class social bourgeois norms, or on the other hand, it could be that it's it, it's the same old trope that black music is dangerous because it makes white people misbehave. So, um, so I think in, in Lestance Sophie that the, the, the introductory introduction of the film is like raga music, whatever it is, it's trance music, 
and and you know, and you see that they're they're starting to become like hippies or act out whatever it is. And then it concludes with the art ensemble and her, you know, her coming in late. So, I've, so it's it's hard to decide: is it a positive use of the music, or is it or is it once again placing are blacks liberating force? Or are we are we a danger? Is it the jungle music issue? I mean, not that I, I like the film, it's French New Wave, but it's but it, it's also makes me cringe. I, th- I think the the I haven't seen it, so I'm just bullshitting here. The liberation and danger tend to go together in those uh, in right. these depictions, you know. It's sort of like the surrealist taking on African art type of thing, you know, um, and, and nigritude. It's powerful, but be careful, you know. Oh, there's a, there's a couple of those uh, voodoo jazz stories, you know. Tell us, uh, I mean, what Doctor, is- Doctor Terror's House of Horrors. There's a segment in that film. What is the book she shows? The Sex Lives of Natives. <laughs> that, that's the book that she's writing herself. Yeah, right, right, right. And then she's, at the end, when Jarman comes in, he says, oh, yeah, this European way of dealing with sex is all messed up. Right. You know, I think it depends on whether you're the identifying with the French woman or the French man uh, in the film about where you come on. Uh, is this music dangerous or liberating? Have you seen that one, Gretchen? I have, yeah. Yeah, I I feel like the music for me helped me connect with her as a character, as you were saying. Um, and it was really about this essence of liberation and not being contained. Um, because so much of the story is about her feeling trapped or feeling contained and trying to get out of that through artistic expression. So it felt like the sonic parallel of that in many ways. Or, 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 or cry of jazz. What is the chord changer, the change of slavery, but the solo is the freedom. So it's like, there's, there, there is a, there's a, th- whoever, I think this collection was curated by someone to, to make these films that you could watch them, all the films and you have a story um, hmm. about free jazz. I think, I think this is, I think it's pretty purposeful um, because there's a lot, there's lots of, lots of references that, that overlap in the films. Expand on that a little bit. Well, okay. If you um, fire music included uh, is included, was it uh, the the earlier version? The guy who who helped who helped with executive producer, whatever it is. You notice the Bill Dixon. Bill Dixon is in both those films from the same era. Yeah. Uh, and, and and fire music talks about community organizing, liberation, being free to make your music as you please, and as your own statement. And it's kind of a more of a positive thing. Whereas I think is it at the end what uh, there's the other one, the Peter Kowal movie, that one with with with, with uh, Charles Gale. That's and talking Rising about Tones Cross. Rising, oh, Rising, Rising Tones Cross, right? But so it's it's addressing these same issues of free music and about what is black music and all. And Peter Kowal expresses surprise about how racism in America, but it's addressing the same problems in the clubs and all. But it's a lot more negative and dark, <laughs> um, because it's because people are, are sad. However, Charles, Gale, but it's also about humanism because Charles Gale ends by saying it doesn't matter if it's jazz or art or anything. People are starving. We need to treat each other like human beings, which is part of a whole commentary. And fire music is about when, when Archie Shep is asked how um, what 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 should be how, how should black musicians be treated more equally, whatever it is, and he said. When black people treat them racially, it's not just about music, not just about us. So I think there's those kind of connections throughout. If you were to watch them, 
if you're watching them in, in, in the same summer time frame, if you waited six months, you might not notice. But watching them, I, I watched five films yesterday. Um, so it, it was my job in the past to watch too many things at one time. So, so, so I was more aware of, 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 of similar references. I think that was Ron Mann who made Imagine right. the Sound in the 80s right. and then is an, a consultant on the 2021 right. um, yeah. fire music film. Which so he used some of the same uh, raw material, uh, interview material from the first film. They used that in the second. But he didn't direct and a bit of the no. musical stuff also, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Is it the Cecil stuff from? I haven't seen Imagine the Sound in yeah. a very long time, but I yeah. think there's some of that in fire music. Yeah. Yes, I mean the thing that struck me about both those films is how well shot they are. I mean, they really are slick films. They're well, really well done. I thought fire well, music, particularly, I thought covered. Well, fire music's father was a filmmaker. <laughs> So, because I was wondering who the tribute was at the end, like did he die? Otherwise, that was his father. His mother was 104 or something like that right now. So, um, so I think so. He grew up around media and stuff. Where where did that film appear though? Other than on the Criterion Channel, I I didn't get any uh, publicity about it uh, in 2021 when it was released. It screened in New York somewhere. I forgot where. I I, I looked it up because I was just curious who the guy was and 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 why it looked so good and and who was who he was giving a tribute to, who died in 2016 or something. So I think it did screen someplace in New York. I don't remember where though. So let's go back to the original question. If this is not if if thinking of it as a genre is too limiting, what do these films have in common? Are they trying to tell? Uh, a group story or a movement story or individual stories or well fire music is clearly doing doing both of those things you have uh, you know sections of it that focus on particular musicians like ornette and cecil and then you have those kind of shorter segments toward the end where they look at regional scenes looking at, at, at western europe or chicago let's say in the aacm i think there's a lot of i'll just say about the film um selection of clips is really good that first Sunra concert in that film, which I had not seen anywhere, that's some excellent footage. You know, there's no shortage of great Sunra footage, but that was some I hadn't seen before. And I think it tells the story well. The only point I felt like it goes off the rails a little bit is right at the very end, uh, when we hear about how there's this new conservative trend that comes along in jazz in the 80s, blah, blah, blah. But you get the sense that uh, from watching the film that that, that Free jazz activity just kind of goes away in the 80s, which is a completely uh, wrong impression to be giving. I wish they had given some sense of how uh, that musical impulse continued into the 80s, despite the, the young lions coming along and all that kind of thing. A minor quibble, to be sure. Well, the, he also, I read, it, I read an interview with him, part of an interview. He was also doing this as a corrective. To 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 our everybody's favorite jazz documentary filmmaker Ken Burns, um, so he so he was he was saying Ken Burns dropped the ball. But I think that that ending part there was a little was a little overstated. But I think he was also that was his kind of sort of backhanded uh, uh, slap at Ken Burns for not covering jazz past a certain point. But but he but he was intentional. But another thing. But about, then I would argue that makes it more important to set the record straight. Right. Yeah. Right. I agree. But also, I 
this is this is a plug for one of our, I guess, one of our members. But it's interesting. It's a minor clip about the film, but but Willard's book just came out, ain't but a few of us. It's interesting. Oh, yeah. Fire music, and basically the only critic is Gary Giddens. John Chakai sort of functions as a, as a critic, which is interesting that they're no that they the, maybe Stanley Cross didn't want to be in it, maybe, but Stanley certainly could have talked about free jazz, be it good or bad. Um, but the thing about the free, question of free jazz genres, all these films approach not just the music and you know sometimes too long a music clip sometimes not very well recorded or filmed but they they place the music in a sociological historical context so whereas i think that's what makes it a free jazz genre whereas a lot of music documentaries or jazz documentaries are just like reportage on a person's life and how they became famous and it's, it's just storytelling whereas this is attempting to make some kind of historical historical analysis whether they, whether they are successful or not is another thing. And then you have the, the total, the total just abstract films, which really do fit with free jazz. Like, like I, I, I actually looked at that one thing with the, with, I said, this should be a museum multi multimedia installation piece. And by the end, I realized, Oh, they're filming a damn picture in a museum. This is promises through Congress. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I thought that was beautiful and lovely. Um, I've watched it twice. <laughs> Did anybody else watch that? Maybe three times. I did. Yeah. What do you think, Greg? I just, I think this concept of the multimedia approach is really fascinating. And getting to this larger question of the collection of different free jazz films, I think the value of such a collection is it provides a diversity of different types of access to the music. Um, so going back to what Don was talking about, about highlighting the culture in this specific moment where the music is being produced, you can come at it from a historical perspective with a documentary, or you can come at it with this multimedia perspective, or you can come at it by watching the French film that just has it as underscoring. But I think what it does is it shows the different ways it was working in culture at the time and still maintains relevance today and opens up possibilities for there to be a broader audience, which I think is really interesting. Mm. I mean, I am glad it's there. I'm not sure that all the films, um, like the, the Lower East Side film, I don't see how that, that's for insiders. In, in the jazz world. I don't really know that that's going to win very many new, new converts to the music. Um, uh, but that's also has to do with the, 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 art, the audio quality and the video quality. As for filmmaking in that, in, on that film, the, the filmmaker kind of did a service to the musicians because you didn't know who they were pretty much. Um, and that would have been easy to fit. And it's sort of, I, that was problematic to me in the sense of that that you, these people will not remain anonymous if, if, if their work isn't that important as individuals. But that, you know, that also probably is a money issue. They're all credited at the end. At the end, right, right. But if you were watching as a newcomer, you, would, you wouldn't have any idea what's going on, I think. You'd be a little bit lost. Well, some that film, Rising Tones Cross, and also the um, Milford Graves film, Full Mantis, could have been edited differently, I thought. <laughs> they were they were both um, discursive, and I wonder if that supposed to represented a free jazz aesthetic about you know we're we're just going to go a uh, form uh, is is uh, going to follow function here, and the function is to uh, show the context, not to uh, contain the material so so much. 
I don't know if that's a specious uh, interpretation, but uh, that's that the kind of thing filmmakers think about. You know, how does the 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 form reflect the content? Like, I don't think that's unreasonable at all to place that interpretation on there. But actually, full, full man, the, the Milford Grace Full Man's movie, I found it actually kind of fascinating. It's a little too long at times, but also it approaches the thing of like the shamanism of free jazz, the the fact that, that the music can liberate you, take you outside yourself and everyday things. So there's the magic of that. And there and there's another connection. He talks a lot about, about plants and herbs and how that colors your music and everything. Remember Sun Ra had a whole commentary too in one of the films about how you where you get your inspiration from. He talked about flowers and the woods and stuff too. So I think that the element of like some connection to nature uh, uh, something outside just your, your 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 bodily human human existence, but you know the, I, the magical component. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, since we've reached magic, I think we should close this episode of of the buzz, but move on to a part two. And so, um, thank you to uh, Don Palmer, Kevin Whitehead, Gretchen Carlson for uh, contributing to this episode. And uh, we will resume this discussion in part two, picking up on the the magic element and also uh, how relevant free jazz is today and examples of free jazz uh, in the films today. So I'm Howard Mandel. Thanks very much for listening to uh, The Buzz. And please visit the Jazz Journalist Association at JJA News or uh, JJAJazzAwards.org. And also take a look at our photography master classes on YouTube called Seeing Jazz. Thanks. Talk again soon. Bye.